February means no more transfers until May or until June, July. Uh, it also means return of the Champions League. Normally getting into more squeaky bum time in the league. Um, I can't believe how quickly his month has gone. Um, but yeah, an opportunity, Dan, for us to chat. Chat transfer window today. A, a very peculiar transfer window. And we've got uh, Arel Nazmir from our data science team at 21st Club, uh, who's crunched all the numbers. And uh, yeah, looking forward to getting stuck into some interesting insights today, reviewing, reviewing the window. Uh, so, Arel, lead us off. Um, what were some of the headlines from from the January window, which was a bit of an unusual one in many ways? Yeah. But thanks again for having me on. So, yeah, as you say, Omar, it's obviously been a very peculiar window for a number of reasons. Um, we, we saw the kind of impact of COVID a little bit last summer in the transfer window. Um, and I think we're beginning to see some of the longer term effects that COVID is having this January. So it's been the lowest spending window since 2012. Um, kind of big five spending is down by about 66% from, from last January. So it's down um, from 730 million to about 230 million. So we're seeing big drop-offs and the same the same is true in the Premier League. Um, it's been the first window since 2012 as well, actually, that there's been um, no signings above 25 million. Um, and there's actually been only two signings above 20 million. If, if we kind of, uh, I think Benarama and Diallo as well that were signed. So it's definitely been a lot more quieter window that, that then were kind of used to as well. Um, and another interesting kind of fact is that um, Real Madrid as well haven't made a signing since 2019. So, you know, the big Galacticos of, of the noughties are really, really quiet. And, and when that happens, you know, you know something's uh, definitely up. So, yeah, I think it's been a very quiet window, but also it's not only been um, COVID. If you combine the effects that um, Brexit's beginning to have on clubs as well, I think something that we'll touch on later on, it's definitely had a kind of double whammy effect as um on this window and yeah i think we'll probably see more of the same um in the summer as well yeah the the 25 million pound stat on is the kind of one that amazed me because it probably wasn't that long ago that 25 million became the kind of almost like lower benchmark for i remember when it used to be oh, 25 million i remember when they when chelsea signed signed chipchenko for 30 million it was like oh bloody hell there's been a lot of money there on the striker um but that's obviously all changed now and now 25 million is kind of going right and actually, one of the pieces of analysis that that we've done, Arel, is where we've looked at um, transfers as a proportion of, of club revenue. And if you're a kind of you know, Man United, Bayern Munich, um, Real Madrid, and so on, the 25 million would represent roughly 5%, maybe a bit less of, of your revenues, which is typically what you would spend on a fringe player or, or a squad player. Um, and the fact that clubs aren't signing those types of players, I think it's really, really notable. They've just basically decided to make do with the, with the scores that they have this window. Yeah, and maybe if I can just mention one point there, Omar, as well, which is the general picture that like we had the, the Deloitte report out last yeah. week, I think, if that's right. Um, we had various financial accounts out from across some of the biggest clubs, Barcelona, Real Madrid, as Oriol mentioned, and obviously a lot of the the UK clubs from a revenue and um, cost perspective. We've seen, you know, ba uh, Barcelona, obviously big losses, Real Madrid, big losses, even clubs like um, uh, Brighton, I think have come out with quite big losses relatively recently, among others. And um, that's obviously a lot has to do with COVID uh, and, and lack of match day and commercial revenues and obviously some broadcasting rebates and all of that. And I feel that, you know, in, in the summer, we had that period, didn't we, where everyone was a bit outraged that so much money was being spent. 
um, in the midst of what was this, you know, global pandemic and everyone was, you know, ha had this idea of how clubs are able to sustain themselves with spending these huge amounts of money. And here we are yeah. um, at the beginning of February, um, effectively, well, I, in a way, I guess, I mean, I don't know whether this is the case or not, clubs showing a lot more rationality, um, uh, maybe a forced rationality than they otherwise uh, would necessarily have done in other climates, simply because they're having to tighten belt strings at a very strong, uh, strong level. But I wonder whether there's a few other sort of elements in the pie we've talked about Omar previously, like, for example, um, a, a re-equilibrium, sort of restabilization of the market in terms of value of players, yeah. of not being able to get players off the books because they're on pretty high wages, on um, sort of the new normal in terms of wages and transfer fees and it taking a while for that sort of valuation shock to flow through the industry. Yeah. What were the numbers? Because I know you looked at this. What were the numbers on like player average transfer fee versus what we might have expected? Yeah, exactly. And so I think it's um, the first winner since 2012 where that where our valuation model will kind of um, states that the, the players were kind of being traded that very, very closely to what they actually went for. So historically, the kind of uh, January window, you tend to pay a premium. And over the past couple of seasons, actually, since 1718, it's been at about 30 percent. So it's actually been a lot higher than what players are actually worth. But as I say, this window, it's actually been clubs paying um signing foot players for around seven percent less than what they're actually valued at so you know as you say the market in a way is actually correcting itself a little bit more but also selling clubs are a bit more kind of they, they have that position where perhaps they, they might need to sell a player and they're more than happy to kind of you know sell him for slightly less slightly closer to his um actual market value as opposed to kind of waiting to get that premium because there isn't that luxury anymore that, that we're seeing as a lot of clubs are kind of implementing austerity measures across the board so yeah it's, it's been a lot closer to um what plays are actually actually worth this window. yeah i um i remember you doing a piece of analysis looking at particularly the last week of the window which has to be like a massive premium in january because yeah, it's kind of all this real panic buying. Um, then I saw, I saw quite. I think it was from Pema Saka the other the other day. He kind of acknowledged he he himself was a panic buy for Arsenal. Which I wonder what it's like being a footballer if you're if you're a panic buy, how you kind of view yourself. And um, but it, but interestingly, Dan, um, it's it, there weren't premiums on players. And so you take a club like Liverpool, um, who we probably talk about too much on this show, but but we do for very good reasons. Um, paying very little fees for the two set of backs they signed not only that but also very little up front exactly so it was just one of the things that i that fascinated me is that um you know hopefully other guests that we can get on we might be able to try and think about getting on sporting directors or scouts or agents or otherwise um and i was almost trying to put myself in the position of michael edwards the sporting director and actually just think behind the scenes you know was it the case that Liverpool were under pretty huge financial constraints and therefore he didn't have that much money to play with and um, he's pulled a couple of rabbits out of the hat? Or was it like it was reported that we did make some, uh, Liverpool did make some larger offers for particular players, but they were rejected for various reasons? One from Marseille, perhaps, that we can talk about in a little bit of time in terms of the French market. But the fascinating thing, again, is another trend I think you're seeing that I think Liverpool seem from the outside to be doing pretty well at is paying or potentially paying um or rather paying rather small first transfer installments 
i.e. it might well be that the overall transfer fee is slightly larger because that's the playoff that you take in terms of putting less up front, almost like when you buy your car on PCP or whatever the equivalent might be. You're probably using a bad analogy there. But um, in the same way, what you know, Liverpool seems to have done pretty well is be on the upside of two deals. One is for um, you know uh, Davies, who's out of contract in six months, only putting £500,000 down um, for what presumably will be a fourth or fifth choice centre-back. But, you know, you guys know it better than I. As soon as he's got Liverpool on his CV, that amount probably doubles, triples, quadruples. And if it doesn't work out for him in a year or so or 18 months or two years, then Liverpool probably make a decent profit out of him. The same way with um, uh, Kabak, which is, you know, one of the top uh, under-21 um, uh, scouted defenders in uh, some of the top European league, one of the top, top European leagues. And um, and they've managed to uh, pay a relatively small loan fee with, without an obligation, a crystallised obligation to buy um, in the summer, which is, you know, more or less a, a five-month audition. If it doesn't work out, he goes back. If he does well and acclimatises, then Liverpool will pay whatever it is, the 16 to 18, 20 million euro uh, mark to, to get it over the line. Yeah, I think those those two deals are really interesting just from a um, couple of dynamics. So you're absolutely right on Davies in that now that he's a Premier League player, like just by default, like he's got a much higher transfer fee. And we see that quite a lot, um, even in the data where you see a, a player, players off in the Premier League tend to come in a premium to other Premier League clubs. Um, and so it's almost like the biggest no-brainer in a way. Uh, and the other thing that Liverpool have got in the bank is that they've recruited so well over the last three, four years that if you're another club in the Premier League, you're going, OK, Davies didn't work out at Liverpool, but they, they identified him, so he's probably a pretty good player. And, and that gives you confidence when you might go and, uh, and recruit that player uh, or, or think about recruiting that player. And then um, on Quebec, the obviously it's a five-month shop window, but the... The good thing for Schalke is that, OK, Liverpool haven't got an obligation to buy. But the fact that he, he's been playing for Schalke, who have been probably the worst team in the big five leagues in the last um, last year. I mean, they've been horrendous. Um, so it's difficult to shine for a team like that. But now playing for Liverpool, if he gets money games, you know, with, with Matip now for the season. Like even if Liverpool decide oh, he's not for us. He's been in, playing in the Premier League, and again, that, that comes with an, an additional value. So it's kind of win-win for everyone, a deal like that. I think I remember when um, Monaco loaned Yuri Tielemans to, to Leicester. I, again, a really wise move, I thought, because it took him from that Monaco, wasn't it? And he, um, he went to the Premier League, performed well in those six months. Um, you know, everyone could benefit there because Leicester could see his quality in the Premier League. Monaco could get him in a you know an attractive league to to raise his value and then everyone can kind of decide what what their price for him is with with a great degree of confidence so yeah. there's a lot more kind of tactics that we're that we're seeing um in the window and if i can mention just one other a couple of other brief points then obviously we can go back to the much better insightful analysis from oriel than me but um the the bit that i also find interesting was you know it's almost hedging liverpool are hedging their bets on that and, and not continuing the trend too much which is you know, it's reported that um, Upper Meccano at Red Bull is maybe their big target for the summer. You know, they're effectively, te- I'm using, I don't know, I'm using automotive things so much today, but they're basically test driving him for, you know, a few months, um, seeing if it works out. And he would obviously be the cheaper alternative to a much more expensive potential um, player. 
So I think I think that's an interesting one. And I think the other thing is just to um, not like I need to um, uh, talk about Paul Merson too much in his analysis, but I found his analysis yesterday of um, Kabak um, and others just quite interesting because you know this whole confirmation bias. Just as you talked about of Schalke obviously doing terribly in the league, that doesn't mean they don't have good players playing for them. Just in, and you talked about it, Omar in a way when you said um, you know about um, uh, players that can obviously step up inside a better team. And you know Liverpool is the exact prime recruitment example of that. You know they've had players that have basically been relegated from the Premier League that have excelled at um, at Liverpool as a result. I mean. Gini Wijnaldum, I was seeing a statistic today, over 200 games, has got the best ever points per game ratio out of any Liverpool player in history. Um, and the same, you know, with Shakiri to a degree, and the same with Robertson, obviously. So it's sometimes, I think, less about the team and more about the player and, and how you recruit the player. And, and obviously, Schalke being in a vulnerable position makes it of, uh, of value to Liverpool in that respect. Yeah, definitely. Ira, what were the stats on loan deals? Because I think they... Well, Liverpool's probably the headline one, but there were quite a few, weren't they, in the window? Yeah, definitely. I think it's very interesting, the Liverpool one in general, because I feel like, yeah, they kind of went into the window in one of the worst positions, and obviously they're chasing probably the title this season, and they've actually come out with two very good players, and as Dan says, for very little money. So they've kind of been forced into the market, but not forced into any deals. So I think that's been um, you know, a testament to the type of recruitment strategies at Liverpool um, for the past couple of years. But yeah, loans in general, I think there's been a tendency... Oh, it's been changing the dynamics um, of the in in the transfer windows quite a lot over the past couple of years. So I think this window we saw sixty percent of all deals are actually loans. So historically, that's been around forty five percent or just less than half. So you know more than half of the deals this window are actually loan deals. Um, so that's just been a, a kind of a small trend we've seen that this um, this January. But also the value of those players has actually been a lot higher. So we're seeing players loaned out that are perhaps not 19, 20 year olds, but players like, you know, Jesse Lingard or other kind of more senior players. So they're actually being loaned out um, later on in their career. And this is actually shown as well in terms of the average age of loan players it's actually increased about 26, whereas historically it's been closer to 24. Um, huh. And we've also seen in some of the data as well, actually, that, you know, loan players, um, the, percent, the percent of minutes that they actually play is actually increasing as well. So um between 2010 and 2014 it's and the last uh four years it's actually increased by seven percent so you know we're, we're seeing more senior players go out on loan and players that are worth more we're also seeing more loans in the transfer window in general um and as dan says in a way that kind of gives you an insurance policy and as you mentioned um, with Yuri Tielemans, in a way it allows you to kind of pick up a player and see how well they might do and, and you know never has that been more important than now during covid where clubs can't kind of be um the, the kind of they can't be thought if, if they make a mistake it's a lot more costly than it perhaps might have been another window so i think that's an interesting trend that we'll begin to see more of and obviously italy's been known for doing a lot of loan to buy obligations and their co-ownership and obviously a lot of the rules and regulations around that have changed but i think it's a very very interesting area that we're, we're going to begin to see more of i think moving forward definitely yeah i i um i wonder if you know obviously you know a lot of players might have signed long-term deals in summer 2019 on you know four or five year deals and they're difficult to shift at the moment fifa the one thing that strikes me is fifa want to change regulations around loans and limiting um the movement of of loan players um for to, essentially to prevent hoarding um, of players but i almost feel like they're probably gonna have to kick back some of those regulations because 
you know, at the moment, it's the only outlet for a lot of clubs. Uh, and if you restrict the ability for clubs to loan out players, then you're potentially restricting or you're, you're in, you know, you're enforcing them to incur costs that they don't want to incur uh, and that they can spread elsewhere. So, yeah, that'll be an interesting, I wonder if FIFA are <laughs> studying those movements and thinking about how their regulations might change. I think, um, yeah, the other bit, Omar, that we were, we've, we've talked about is the B word. I know we've talked about it a little bit before, the Brexit word. Um, <laughs> And how um, and how that has impacted in the window. But before I just go on Brexit, the other bit that would be quite interesting. I know we we talked about in prep before was um, sort of the, the the communications, the comms that comes out of clubs mm-hmm. um, to effectively um, provide advantage in a negotiation position or a disadvantage um, to make things more difficult to be able to, to buy and sell players. And we were talking before about that a little bit. I'm not sure whether Omar you want, if, if you feel sort of comfortable just to talk about, you know, how sometimes more clubs can be possibly more joined up in, in their approach and the messaging about, yeah. um, you know, needing players or wanting to sign players and how that sort of comes into the wider sort of holistic piece. Yeah, so you mentioned obviously John Matip's injury wasn't announced until after the signings. And I, I must admit, when I saw little two centre-backs, they really need two centre-backs. You know, um, Matt Phillips did pretty well against West Ham. And then you see uh, John Matip's out for the season. You go, oh, OK, that's why. And But that that's exactly how you should play it. Because, you know, if, if they'd announced it beforehand, then um, Preston or Schalke go, right, the price has increased by 100%. Um, or the loan fee or whatever. Um, so that's that's definitely the way to play it. I think the other way to play it, the wrong way to play it, um, is arguably being what um, what we saw from West Brom during the window um, with with Sam Allardyce. Um, you know, coming out and saying we need players. It's harder in this market because of Brexit. I, th- I, I think that just narrows your negotiating position so sharply. Uh, and I know of clubs that have clauses in the contracts of their managers that restrict their ability to talk about transfers in press conferences basically uh, and i think it's a very good it's a very wise move because you know everyone sees it, everyone um talks about it and i think liverpool have probably uh, you know we've praised them so much on this on the show around their recruitment but like they they i've never seen a team keep such a poker face in uh, in the public and clearly in private as well in negotiations so yeah no fair play to them i think uh, i think they've Played a blinder again. Um, on on Brexit, so on some other lines of Brexit. Um, or is it hard? Is it easy or hard to pull apart the impact of, of Brexit um, and the points-based system on the market? Yeah, it's an interesting one, Omar. Um, so I think it's going to begin to have more of an impact, obviously long term. But even in this first window, I think we've already beginning to see a slight shift. So you know, the proportion of transfers from other big leagues actually increases when percent. Again, historically, it's been about 50%, um, and that's actually deviated. So what signings from other European leagues has actually dropped. So you can see clubs already beginning to focus a lot of their recruitment strategies around clubs in the big five where players to get GB points. And obviously, this is the first window, so um, it will begin to be more noticeable um, long term. So, yeah, I'd say we're already beginning to see a shift in that. Um, it's interesting, actually, Sam Allardyce that you mentioned. I remember him at the beginning of January kind of crying out that, um, you know, West Brom are dying out for a striker. They've got Callum Robinson as their only kind of senior striker, but they're desperate for goals. Um, and it's interesting, actually, because they, they've looked at a few targets that Allardyce was quite keen to kind of move forward with. But actually, as a result of Brexit, he very clearly said that we couldn't make any more progress on those players. So, 
you know, if West Brom were to go down, it might not be because of that, but, you know, they've actually been missing out on targets um, because of that. And Henny was saying himself that it's probably the most difficult window that he's been in, uh, combining the effects of, you know, Brexit um, as well as um, COVID as well. So, yeah, we're, we're beginning to see an impact already. Um, it's interesting, uh, Cassioda, I think, signed for Brighton. He's obviously a very, very um, kind of high, high, highly rated player um, coming from Ecuador. Uh, Man United were very close to signing him, I think, but Brighton ended up, ended up getting him. And he just about passed the GBE point system on about 17 points. Uh, so he's likely to kind of to kind of um, get game time very soon. But I think what's another kind of interesting impact of, of um, Brexit is the kind of recruitment in South America. So at the minute, um, Cooper Libertadores is actually ranked as a Category 1 um, continental competition. And what that basically means is it's ranked the same as the Champions League. So... Mm-hmm. Whether if a player gets a decent amount of minutes in this competition or even gets to kind of a round of 16, round of uh, quarterfinal, et cetera, they can actually accumulate a big, big proportion of the 15 points needed to actually qualify for GBE. So I think we actually might see a shift in the long term in more clubs recruiting from South America and probably less from, let's say, Eastern Europe, where it's perhaps a lot more difficult for a club to be playing in Europe. And even so, players probably playing for a weak, uh, weak national team, so they'll struggle for points there. Um, it's interesting, actually, on the Cassiedo one, I think um, Brighton have actually built a, a relationship with a club that they've signed him from. So they're very keen to, you know, build those relationships in South America, where obviously they're going to be a lot more important um, moving forward. Yeah. Uh, just to, I mean, apart from Oriel taking my job as the, the work permit expert, which I'm not very happy about right now, seeing as you articulated a lot better than I, I've done in previous ones. Yeah, I think just as a reminder to everybody, I think the the interesting um, the interesting nugget of all of that now is whereas before we had this free movement for EU workers coming in, where it didn't matter which club you were at at all, if you had that EU passport, you were in. It didn't it didn't matter. It was that straightforward. Whereas now, it, it's just everything becomes. Um, more frictionful, whatever the word is, full of friction. You know, um, it, it takes more effort to be able to work out for a non-UK player how they're going to be employed by the club. In one way, it's slightly easier because, as you said, Oriel, actually what, what clubs are we looking at is the top five leagues and a few other leagues. And if you've played a couple of the Doris or you've played Champions League and you've played in a couple of matches in those leagues, you're likely to get in. But it's still a lot more admin and burden and burdensome to be able to go through that analysis piece. And I've done it on quite a few occasions over this window to relative degrees of success. Um, but I think that's the really important thing now. Whereas before, scout a European player. Does he have a European passport? Fine, let's do it. And that was obviously Allardyce's approach. Yeah. Now it's a lot more nuanced. You're going to have to go through that analysis piece if they're not a regular in the national teams. Yeah, I, I think the, the the counterpoint to Allardyce would be the point system is set up so that if a player is below 15 points, they're not good enough for the Premier League uh, and, they, and they shouldn't be signing for West Brom. That, that, that's essentially how it's been designed and tested uh, you can argue whether that that's true for all players and so whilst you know um, he may come out and say oh there's certain players that we wanted to sign but they didn't score enough points he might have actually saved the club a, a bit of money there on, on players that, that weren't good enough that that's the count I, I'm not I'm not necessarily saying that um, that is the case I think there probably are players who particularly younger players who who fall beneath the 15 points threshold and, and are good enough for Premier League clubs but uh but yeah, the um, he might have 
might have said quite a bit of money. Um, just lastly, I think, uh, was on, or, or penultimately, was on Liga, um, which just today also reports on they didn't meet the reserve price after Media Pro pulled out. Um, so it was, it was Amazon, DAZN, I think another, another streaming OTT. Discovery, it? Who was it, sorry? Discovery, maybe? Was it? Yeah, probably. Um, but essentially, yeah, they, uh, the French football not bringing in the broadcast money at the moment. A lot of clubs in a lot of trouble uh, broadcast money in the big five leagues, the big income stream for, for all the clubs there. Um, did did we see a shift in the window in in, in the dynamics around Liga, Aurel? Yeah, it's an interesting one to say. It's obviously been feeling the effects very strongly of COVID. And, you know, I think part of the reason for that, it was, a, it was the only big five league last season to actually be cancelled very prematurely. It seemed like they kind of made a mistake, but very, very quickly in that. And then obviously this season, it struggled with the TV deal and that's going to affect clubs across the board. Uh, probably less so PSG, I imagine. But um, obviously, I think you, you'll begin to see some of the effects. Um, it's not been the case that um, more clubs have been signing players from, from Liga in this window. But I think it, um, in the future, we'll definitely see more of that. I mean, this window, Liga actually had a positive net balance, in, in, which was the first time this had happened since 2013. So they tend to spend a bit more than they than they kind of receive, but not not in this window. Um, and, and, you know, we've seen obviously Aston Villa sign uh, Sanson, I think, a midfielder from Marseille. Um, in this window and apparently Marseille you know they were forced into making that decision because of the financial struggles and um, you know the longer this lasts in Liga I think we'll begin to see more and more clubs begin to target players um, from Liga and there's obviously a, a big big pool of talent from there to choose from and obviously if you combine the effects of Brexit with that more clubs will be looking at that league anyway so um, I think it's a very interesting one that we perhaps haven't seen too much change in this window, but definitely moving towards the summer um, and, and the next 12 months in general, I think we're beginning to, we're, we're going to see more and more involvement in this area. Yeah, might not be a big five league. So. It's already, uh, it's already kind of between being a big four and a big five, isn't it? And I think if, if the clubs aren't um, receiving the broadcast money, then um, they might might struggle might struggle to retain their players at the at, at, um, at the younger ages and see them go to Spain and England and so on when they're when they're kind of 21, 22. Um, but yeah, interesting, interesting one to track. Um, and just to wrap up, who do you think had a good good windows? Um, we've spoken about Liverpool. Uh, were there others that that kind of came out of it well? Yeah, I think it's an interesting one, perhaps not from a buying perspective, but in terms of releasing players. And I think this is a point Dan mentioned earlier around, um, you know, I think Arsenal have actually done OK in terms of kind of getting rid of some players on very high wages, as you know, mess um man united you know releasing well rojo's now left so you know that those those kind of savings in terms of uh, wages are going to be very very important for clubs even those clubs at the top of the table um so i think that those clubs have done well and a number of other teams that have been able to kind of um kind of release those big earners but um across the board because there hasn't actually been too many transfer signings there wasn't any clubs that actually came out that did you know spectacularly well in general but i think um you know those clubs that were able to release some of those big earners are actually uh, making the kind of necessary steps to perhaps be a bit more active uh, in the summer should should they need to. Yeah, I think that was the big thing that came out of the summer windows that the amount of sales was massively down. Clubs struggled to get rid of players, so I suppose that was the number one objective in this window for for, for clubs. But in a lot of cases, just being temporary because it's, it's just loans, and they're hoping to put players in the shop window. I suppose for 
um, for a period of time. But, but I think the challenge is if a player goes out on loan and then doesn't perform on loan, then you've almost got a double problem because it doesn't. It's not. It's no longer an issue of the player at that. An issue with the player at any club, um, and I think that's where. Um, yeah, clubs run into difficulties if they're repeat failure, um, failure of loans. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, yeah, some of the, uh, someone like a, a Jesse Lingard, for example, or, a, um, yeah, some of the Arsenal players have been loaned out, how they how they do. Because if they fail, then suddenly their, their value tanks even more. Mm. No, agree, agreed. Well, guys, we're at the, we're at the half an hour mark. It was, um, yeah, it was great to chat footy as always. And, um, yeah, fascinating to hear some insights um, from Oriel. Um, yeah, Omar, please um, give him his uh, give him his appearance fee and his image rights um, royalty payment, and maybe we'll uh, we'll try and get him back on if we can afford him next time. Yeah, I know a good lawyer can sort him out on those contracts. <laughs> Thanks a lot for having me on, guys. Again, cheers, Oriel. Thanks, Dan. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter. TikTok and Instagram at Football Law, read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website, danielg.com forward slash blogs. Please do subscribe to the Dundee Football Podcast, like, share and tag me. If you like the content, if not my voice, you'll probably also like my book Dundee, an insider's guide to football contracts, multi-million pound transfers and Premier League big business. A bit of a mouthful. It's available to buy in hard copy, digitally and via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, the podcast is powered by 13, which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap or all three. Please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk. Thanks for listening.